Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here. Golden Age of Cardboard podcast is what you're listening to. I hope that's what you meant to turn on because that's what you're going to get for the next uh, 40 to 60 minutes. We'll see how long this goes. Uh, It's always, everybody thinks, how do you plan your episodes? I don't. (laughs) I get a good guest that I want to have a conversation with and we have a conversation. And that is kind of the way my podcast world works. I have nothing but maybe a couple of notes that I keep uh, to get ready for each episode and really the the conversation makes itself um it's it's really great all the people that i have on i consider friends and so that makes it way easier because we already know each other to some degree rarely do i have someone on that i don't know at all and uh yeah we're just talking cards so tonight i am talking to a gentleman who i've known a little while he's a youtuber fellow youtuber he collects different though than a lot of us do and I think it'd be an it'll be an interesting perspective to hear how he collects, why he collects that way, and maybe just maybe you guys will go, you know, that's a good way to collect too. Because there's so many different ways to skin the cat. There's so many different ways to build a great collection, and you got to remember you got to build a collection for yourself, not for anyone else, not to show off, not to anything. What do you like? And a lot of that's determined. We all like a lot of things that probably we can't afford. And so budget plays into it, right? Space plays into it. There's so many different variables that determine what our collection ends up looking like. We'd all have, you know, high grade, you know, Babe Ruth's and Lou Gehrig's and Mickey Mantle's and Hank Aaron's and all that stuff if we could. But most of us can't. And so I am uh, excited to get John's perspective I'm going to bring him on now and we will start talking. John, 3D 80s kid, welcome to your premiere, you know, uh, appearance on Golden Age of Cardboard. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, definitely bringing a different uh, collecting approach than uh, what uh, people are familiar with for you. So. Yeah, and that's okay, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important to say, I can't say that enough that you know i may in fact i respect how you collect i respect how everybody collects really but and i and i enjoy going wow that's interesting take on that and it's fun to hear the stories of why and all that but tell me first like you've been collecting for a long time relatively new to youtube kind of tell me tell me that story a little bit as best you can well I actually wouldn't say I have been collecting a long time is is one of my issues. So uh, I did, you know, start in the 80s. Clearly, I'm an 80s kid from the title. Uh, 
and I stopped in around 1991. So, uh, those cards were in boxes that traveled with me from move to move to move. And I did not crack them open again, really, until 2021. So uh, that is when I started collecting again. So it was uh, from 83 to 91, really, for me. And then again in 2021, a 30-year gap. And uh, uh, as such, I... Uh, you know, didn't uh, find my way to vintage even until 2022. When I came back the first year, the first thing that excited me to pick up uh, was this uh, card over here that was uh, felt untouchable to me in uh, 1991. Little David Robinson uh, hoops rookie, love that. Yeah, the the hoops rookie, the one uh, where he's holding holding his jersey uh, with the suit on. Uh, because that was the, you know, the chase card. David Robinson was my favorite basketball player during the 90s. And that thing, you know, my local card shop had one that they wanted 50 bucks for. And there was no eBay. There was no other means of acquiring that. And that was outrageous for me to possibly spend that much on a card. So uh, then I get on the eBay and... 2021 and the wonders I find it's uh, I can get this this card was sent to me I believe for two dollars and fifty cents nice. <laughs> raw condition so um, you know I, I spent a year or slightly less than that dabbling in then collecting basketball Hall of Famers but there just really isn't the same history and, you know, availability of cards, especially when you go back in the vintage side for the Hall of Famers. Yeah. And so the select guys get pretty darn expensive. Uh, the 86 Fleer set gets pretty darn expensive, uh, you know, to try to collect rookie cards of Hall of Famers and, it just wasn't thrilling me anymore. And I ended up uh, ultimately, you know, watching enough YouTube and seeing folks like yourself to think, oh, maybe I should try vintage baseball cards and uh, ended up selling my first card ever then uh, early 2022 and liquidated almost all of the basketball cards I had purchased. Uh, fortunately, as right before those took a dump, so I actually made slight profit, I think, on my purchases during 2021 and started pouring it back into vintage baseball cards. Um, so it's unusual. I mean, a lot of guys came into the hobby during COVID or post-COVID. What was yeah. your catalyst to go, I want to collect cards again? I think ultimately, uh, for me, it was finding something to make me happy. I was in a bit of a funk in mid-2020. Uh, to back up a little bit, my parents came to live with us in 2018 because my mom was failing health and my dad needed help taking care of her. So they were living in our house at that point. And my mom ultimately passed in the uh, july of 2020 from her had a heart uh, defect so 
ultimately. Um, and I was probably pretty depressed after that for a few months and ended up, I guess, seeking out my childhood again. So, um, not an uncommon story, not usually, you know, the death of a loved one or some, you know, there will be some moment or event that drives someone. Let me pull those cards out again. And in COVID, it happened a lot. Guys were just bored out of their gourd and looking through their closet. Oh, there's some cards, you know, from when I was a kid. And uh, it's just interesting. I like hearing everyone's story because I have the, the literally the polar opposite story of collecting in the 80s, just like you, never stopping, having periods of slowdown, right? And where you I didn't have the financial means to just collect everything and buy stuff. And, but I think, or do you, I guess you think of yourself because you've, you've said it to me, there, there's a distinct advantage for the guys that have collected throughout because they were able to buy stuff five years ago, even 10 years ago, that if we all went back, we'd all spend, you know, we'd empty our bank accounts to buy cards, right? Knowing exactly. What, what they cost back then. Uh, one of my good friends, you know him well, Eric, those back pages has an absolutely breathtaking collection. And it's, he'll tell you it's because I bought this, you know, 15 years ago or 20, you know, it's not because he bought it all last week. He didn't just hit the lottery and was able to purchase all these amazing cards. It happens over time. It happens with time, you know, you can buy a card now and then another you know, little bit while longer you save up, you do whatever you buy another card. And so you, the whole marathon, not a sprint thing is so true. You're in, I guess, do you feel like you're in catch up mode? Like, man, I've got to catch up to all these guys that are 10 years ahead of me, 15, 20 years ahead of me. Do you feel that way? I mean, I, I felt like that a little bit when my wall was empty behind me, <laughs> uh, if you, anybody goes back and looks at my first YouTube video, you'll even find some of the spaces filled in this original case are filled with like uh, Circle K cards as the placeholders uh, for some of the vintage look to continue. Um, right. And uh, the so, you know, I did feel kind of that way in terms of even when I started on YouTube, I didn't even have what would be 30 cards to fill up a case behind me so um but i just wanted to kind of document my collecting story anyways and join the community so um which you know anyone out there if you're thinking about it at all it's such an awesome thing you know press record and just get it out there it's gonna be feel like it's a horrible thing at first especially if you're brave enough to put yourself directly on camera. I know we have a lot of hand models in this community. Uh, it's, it's another whole leap to just like talk to a camera with nobody there as well. So, um, but, um, well, tell me this going I got back, for you. If you go ahead. Coming back to the hobby, like just a couple of years ago, what was the most surprising thing to you in terms of how the hobby had changed? from 1991 to 2021? I was amazed at how much people put into modern players. I mean, 
I, you know, at the end of my collecting, I had seen the craze for Greg Jeffries and Todd Van Poppel and, uh, you know, a few other guys, Ben McDonald, uh, Jerome yeah. Walton. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they made a big deal, the old heads at that point about, wow, you guys are nuts uh, wanting to, to spend $5 on these things. And now you got people spending thousands of dollars on unproven players. Uh, so that shocked you? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, one of the things that turned me off in 91 was even the leap from uh, getting packs for 50 cents to everything being more than a dollar. So in that year. Uh, when everything they started making fancier looking sets to keep up with uh, the upper decks and the Leafs. Yeah, so, 91, you in, Stadium Club was introduced, right? So you had this yeah. full cut, full bleed, you know, photograph, picture, card, right? Which were which were great, and we look all back. We all look back at them longingly, and we we love those. I, I love them anyway. Um, they're not worth a lot anymore, and that's the problem with. It doesn't mean you can't collect it. It just it's cheap. It's easy to collect it because there's tons of it out there. It's relatively inexpensive. You could go. I have like a '91 that dome set. I have like ten of them <laughs> that I just yeah. got in a collection. So they're not rare. <laughs> it's just uh, it, it did change back then, and it's changed. It's obviously it's different for me because I saw the change gradually. Right? It's like your kid, you know, if you or or like a nephew or something that. If you saw them every day you wouldn't notice but you wait five years they come over you're like oh my gosh you've grown so much well no kidding a lot happens over time right yeah and the other thing that really struck me is the modern like psa 10 or nothing attitude that all is so pervasive <laughs> um i mean that's yeah. that's one of the big things that then drew me to vintage also is you know the cards themselves aging is part of the beauty of it even i mean yeah we, we the, don't talk about that enough but you're totally right they're supposed to look old right they are old yeah oh yeah <laughs> they were supposed to be handled by kids i mean they yeah. were a kid's product so so uh, you got into vintage what what drew you you mentioned it a little bit. You started with the basketball and then kind of divested yourself of that. You started watching YouTube. How did you discover that there were card channels on YouTube? You just typed it in one day? Uh, I honestly don't fully remember. I mean, when you first even start, though, you end up with the monster channels doing modern things generally. And so it actually took a while to find folks like yourself of, you know, I'm not really happy watching this investing video or this uh, like shouting, let's go that the kids, <laughs> kids do. Right. So, um, and yeah. the algorithm will once you start kind of down a road though once you kind of discover yeah. a couple of channels it'll start recommending other things and you can broaden your horizons and then you watch people mention other channels and hey you should if you like mine you should go watch so and so and 
it, it leads you down a path, not only of great content to consume, but even for you, it was inspiration to turn the camera on yourself, right? Oh, yeah. And I did not actually have the bravery to do it until I saw you interview Vintage Sanctuary, Adam, and I ended up, you know, learning the fact that he lived in the Portland metro area with me and was started communicating to him in the comments of all of his videos to the point where we met up at our one monthly kind of pathetic in terms of vintage card show that occurs in Portland. Okay. And met him in person. And, uh, you know, I, part of me getting over that hurdle was me telling him I'm going to start a channel. So then you had someone to hold you accountable, right? Exactly. Someone to say, Hey, you said you were starting a channel. How come I haven't seen anything yet? And then, you know, it's, it, that's so cool. By the way, Adam's going to be my uh, guest next week, ironically. Cool. And the the fact that you two met, that you saw him on the channel, you saw him on on this show, actually. And he was one of those guys that literally just kind of reached out randomly and said, hey, I know you don't know me, but I have this unique, I have this uh, unique perspective. Can I come on and talk about it on the show? And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, let, let's give that a shot. Now I know Adam and I can't wait to have him back on the show. Uh, it's so cool that you guys connected and now y'all are friends, you know, you talk often and, and collect similarly and inspire each other and all of that good stuff. Right. Oh yeah. We still try to get together in person every couple months. And after meeting him, that kind of rolled into meeting others that had started on YouTube at a similar time period. And now we have a very active daily, uh, chat going on our phones with a dozen guys that are all, uh, 2022 YouTube rookies. Uh, so that is so cool. Um, I love that. And you find that you kind of, kind of gravitate towards a guys that collect similarly to you or what your interests are and B guys that are all, that are kind of in the same stage of content creation, ironically. Um, yeah. most of my friends, my good friends have been doing YouTube for close to a decade. And so, that's just who I hang with. And that's great. You know, everybody needs their circle of friends, you know, and it, it makes this hobby so much better. As I've said many, many times, let's get into your unique style of collecting and okay. where did it start? Why did you decide to take this route? Like explain what, how you collect that, that most people out there that are listening or watching this would go, okay, that's a little different. And then how you got to make the decision to go in that direction. Well, when I first was going to buy a vintage card, I thought for a while of where do I even want to start? And uh, my dad's favorite player, we, I, I grew up in California, in Northern California. And my dad grew up in Northern California. His favorite player was Willie Mays. He actually got the opportunity to meet Willie Mays through his job. He was a uh, utility lineman in the Bay Area when I grew up. And uh, Willie Mays has a really nice house in a little city called Atherton, which is on the South Peninsula of the Bay Area. And one day he was doing work on a pole in his backyard. 
and uh, okay. got to shake his hand. So nice. <laughs> but uh, you know that would have been during the eighties. But uh, uh, so I decided I wanted to get myself a Willie Mays card, and you know part of this for me was going to be showing the cards to my dad as I got them and talking about them. So, um, you know, initially I looked through like a trading card database where you can see the whole list of everybody's uh, run of cards really easily and quickly. And, uh, ultimately decided that I loved the design of the 60 top set. And not only that, it was a lot friendlier from a price point for perspective than his fifties issues. So, um, this, uh, 1960 tops Willie Mays card was the, the card that started it all for me in vintage. And, um, uh, from there, I, you know, I realized, you know, lots of these old collectors are showing rookie cards all the time. I am coming to this post COVID boom. I look at the price guides or charts and graphs and, Rookie cards are expensive. Uh, I'm coming into this uh, in my late 40s. I am going to be dead before I can afford to buy a collection of even the post-war rookie cards. So I made that decision then to start collecting the cards I like from sets I like. And so then that blossomed into going farther with 60 tops initially collecting the hall of famers from that set is where that blossomed to. So like Hank Aaron's 60 tops card. And then, you know, as far as, you know, it doesn't matter to me. It really ultimately the cost to me, to me, the cost is the obstacle to me possessing it. Once I have it, I don't care how much it's worth because I'm not going to benefit from that. Uh, you know, I'm getting graded cards and I'm telling my wife, if I die, take them over to hoodies. They're a big consigner. So, uh, and get whatever you can. Uh, that's a local uh, thing for, for me here, a uh, pretty big eBay consigner. So, um, so, you know, a card like this, I, you know, recently, uh, what, uh, Mr. Fisherbike had a VR for, uh, you know, our favorite vintage cards. And this was my number one card because I just love the design of it. This uh, 1960 Eddie Matthews. Love how it's got the fielding pose, the batting pose. He's looking at the camera. He's got a hat on. You know, there's no hatless mugshot here. And then it's a 60 tops card. So it's already a beautiful design. And you and got I the got this logo. You know, you got the team oh, yeah, logo the, there. Like the old time logo. Yeah. I got this unopposed in an auction for $25. So, I mean, it's, that's right up my alley. So, um, from there, once I finished those ones, I, you know, wanted to get, you know, another era of hall of famers and, you know, I'm thinking what's a good year gap. It's probably, you probably need to separate about 10 years because ultimately I'm trying to cap, I, I'm starting a project at that point to capture a, as many Hall of Famers as I can, at least one card of them. 
on in a card design set? that I like. Multiple sets, whatever you like. Yeah, I mean, I kind of in the post post war, I kind of worked off of three major sets that I like the best uh, overall. And so from 60 tops, I went to 72, like the, this 72 Seaver. Okay. Uh, you know, his rookie cost a fortune. I got this for $16. <laughs> and it's gorgeous. Right. So, because um, I decided I didn't want to just stay with post-war I mean, as a kid, I felt like everything, even at all vintage, was unattainable. But I studied the old-time guys. I read the books. I watched the documentaries. I mean, my favorite channel, uh, I think, as a teen was probably like ESPN2 or whichever one showed all the documentaries almost nonstop. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I was just big time into the history of baseball and wanted a piece of everything. And that's, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do now. Cause um, like this guy here, uh, Hal Neushauser, I picked up his 55 tops here. Uh, also uh, unopposed. Uh, I think this one was like 20 bucks. Uh, it's a uh, 1955 tops, the beautiful yellow ones. I love those yellow ones. Um, you know, it's only an SGC2, but I look at this thing and I don't know how it got that grade. You know, my my close eyesight, fortunately, I think is is poor <laughs> at this point. So it works in my favor. I can't see the flaws even uh, looking up close. So, uh, you know, they look great on my wall. And, you know, his leaf rookie is absolutely insane with it being a super short print. So that would have been a complete you know, no go if I went down the rookie card route. Um, and it's allowed me now to where I've reached a point in, um, uh, what I guess, uh, almost two years of doing vintage baseball, but kind of two and a half years of budget because of the sale of the previous year of basketball card collecting. So, you know, I'm limiting myself to, you know, right around only $200 a month. And I have three kids still at home that are teenagers. I, you know, am pretty much the sole income of our household. Um, you know, my wife just started into a part-time thing, but, uh, you know, the she was dealing with all the kids and then she helped a lot with my parents moving in. So, um she just recently got back into working. So I'm just not in a place where I have enough budget to even approach going for rookie cards. And I am having a lot of fun. I think these cards look awesome. I mean, I, I love looking at my displays. I, I have the fortune to sit right here at work four days a week. Uh, to my left is my work computer setup. <laughs> and I have these cards right by me on my wall. I can, you know, take a break from my computer screens and stare at cardboard <laughs> throughout the day. Um, Love it. And, uh, you know, it's allowed me to get into pre-war already after only two and a half years. Cause I, I only have three people left that I'm viewing as being the post-war cards to collect. I, I still need a Jackie, a Satchel 
And I, I've lumped Joe DiMaggio in that route because I'm going to go for uh, a Burke Ross. Uh, so, but other than that, I'm complete with post-war Hall of Famers. And now I'm uh, 15 in to pre-war. And I feel like this is now a project I can potentially still complete in my lifetime. So, um you know, the ultimate goal of owning as many Hall of Famers as I can. Of course, I'm kind of excluding the, um, I think it's 21 guys that are pre-T206, and I'm excluding the uh, Negro League players that never had a baseball card because those Cuban ones are insane right. for a price. So, um, but you know, everyone that played uh, T206 and later, I think, is an attainable project goal for me for the rest of my collecting life. You know, obviously, it's going to be a lot slower going with the pre-war cards than it's been for post-war, but I'm having fun with it. So I love that you're patient, that you're not. I mean, you've you've done an amazing job in just a couple of years at $20 a pop at $25 a pop, the occasional $50 card, right. That allows you to stretch your budget as best you can and, and maximize the amount of cards. I think people, again, this is all stuff I preach all the time, but stretching your hobby dollar as best you can, accepting mid to lower grade cards of all time. Great players is not a bad, never a bad strategy in my opinion. You know, it, it just makes sense, you know? Um, and you've been able to get probably what 150 or so Hall of Famers at least would it be my guess. Based on I your... think right now it's at a hundred and thirty-seven. Okay. So so I was pretty close. That's that's impressive. It, that's the word I think of when I think about what you've done in a relatively short period of time on a relatively um just a, a budget that you kind of have to stick to because of your circumstances right it's not like you can just spend a thousand dollars on a card whenever you want you know oh, yeah i i have never earned one of these ebay folders <laughs> the authenticity guaranteed folders yes I, I i've had three cards sent to me in in one but i've never actually earned one so okay so I love that you love 1960 tops. I do too. I'm looking behind you, by the way, as I'm, uh, you're not much to look at. So I'm just looking at the cards behind you. It's okay. I'm Understood not completely. Uh, it's only because I know the, I know the feeling. I'm the same way. You got some 53 Bowman colors back there. It looks like. Yes. That was the third set that I dove into a bit in terms of um, the post-war uh, I fell in love with um, this one right here. The Roy Campanella card was love at first sight on this card. Yeah. I gorgeous. I, I I saw this one. I'm like, I have to have that card. There, <laughs> there's no other card I need for Roy Campanella than this one. <laughs> so, and it's a great. It's a beautiful looking four as I look at the card here on video. I mean, it's a four and it looks great. It's great centering. Um, it, it's so funny. If you have to look yeah. hard for the flaws, they're not that big a deal. 
right? Exactly. And so I love that. I, I got to talk about the SGC tilt towards your collection. I've said multiple times, including to Peter Steinberg, the president of SGC, that if I could start over today, because I get this question a lot from people on Instagram and people, you know, saying, hey, where do I start? You know, kind of the same dilemma you faced a couple of years ago without anyone really to ask. And guys will ask me, hey, I'm going to start in vintage. Where do I start? If I want to get graded, what I, I got some raw cards. I want to get graded. Who should I use? And my answer is always SGC, even though I'm a well-documented PSA homer. Um, I still think that SGC is the way to go. And it's almost like you read my book or something that I haven't written about using SGC for vintage. So do you grade your own card sometimes? Do you buy them that way? Are you only, I'm asking you a bunch of questions that I'll just let you start answering. <laughs> okay. do, you, do you target SGC cards because of the cost difference? Because you like the slabs? Lots of questions there. Start just talking about that. Well, um, ultimately, the decision for me was all about the fact that my ultimate plan is that eventually I will have enough displays around me in one room to house my entire Hall of Famer collection once it's complete even. And uh, so my number one criteria is what looks best on the wall. And to me, the nothing beats the look for vintage like the SGC tuxedo. So, um, and you it know, matches your black displays. I mean, there's a lot of just symmetry there with the with the color scheme and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it looks really good. And to me, I just think to me it's more I don't like what I like the least is the Frankenstein collections. That would drive me absolutely bananas. And I know plenty of guys that have them and they love them. Great. They have SGCs, they have PSAs, they have BVGs, the occasional, you know, HGA slab or something goofy. Great. I It just bothers me. At least you're consistent and I'm proud of you, you know, pretty much every, you have a few PSA cards though, don't you? I uh, have no PSA cards that are part of my permanent collection at this point. Nice. Uh, Okay. The only ones I have sitting around on the desk are uh, intended now for future uh, VR giveaways. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll and, enter uh, those. I, I got to enter some of those to get some more slabs. The the one uh, the one card I have that's on my wall that was PSA I crossed SGC. So. Uh, and that's because it was a gift of Vintage Sanctuary. Adam uh, gave me my, I don't know if you can see it behind me, the 60 Tops Ernie Banks card right yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a PSA 4 and it crossed over to an SGC 5. Nice. That's that's a win. Do you? <laughs> not that I care. Right. But... Not that you care, but... Um... <laughs> What's so again, you're coming in new, you're watching all these people talk about vintage and, and everybody, you know, has an opinion about it on what they like, what they consider important when looking and assessing a vintage card. Uh, you, you mentioned Adam. He and I think I think differently about 
what cards we want in our collection. Neither one of us are wrong. It's just we're different. So what what's important to you? Is it centering? Is it registration? Is it corners? Is it what what matters to you the most? I would say the only factor that matters to me at all is that the picture is still nicely visible. Okay. And I could care less if the edges, the corners, uh, even OC miscut. I mean, uh, this guy right here is a classic. Uh, This uh, 1956 Ted Williams that is to the point of really being like miscut with the uh, top bottom there. And the only thing driving that to a 2.5 grade is the OC miscutness of it. Right. And otherwise, it is just so crisp and vibrant with the picture and just gorgeous and uh, there's no way I could have afforded this card looking this good if it was cut right. So I um, love it. There's there's a card home for every card. If that makes sense. And there are plenty of collectors that I know out there that would never even consider buying that card. And I I think they're the worser for it. I, I think you're right. I mean, first of all, it came out of the pack that way. It's not, exactly. like somebody, it's not like somebody cut it that way. They, it, it was screwed up from birth, right? And so don't blame the card because somebody couldn't cut it, right? I guess it's kind of how I look at it. I, I just, I love that that card found a home with you. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking of even the card was cut that way, I have no concern if it is authentic min size. To me, that is an opportunity for a bargain on something that probably looks pretty darn nice. Okay. Um, I mean, I've got the example up here of thirty-three uh, Gaudi Carl Hubble. Yeah. I mean, this one is probably a three to four, if it's. Okay. Full size. Okay. And that would probably cost uh, at least twice as much as the $108 I want for at auction. So. I love it. Again, there's guys that would just sneer or put their noses up at cards like that. And I'm, I'm glad you don't, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. Because you're looking for the bargain. You Now you have a 33, a real authentic 33 Gaudi Carl Hubble. Exactly. And, you know, mine has the uh, high leg kick and the golden bat background, just like anyone else's does. Yep, it does. It just happens to have a little less white border on one side. Yep. I love it. Um, so you went to the national this year. Oh, no, you I didn't. Did You're going mind. next year. You're going next year. Yes, next year. Uh, we're actually, uh, my group has already booked a Airbnb for next year. Nice. Are you excited about the endeavor of going to the world's largest card show? I have already set a countdown timer on my phone. So, you know what? <laughs> we are kindred spirits because I too have a countdown 
I, I've had one for Chicago and I already have it for Cleveland. We're at uh, 11 months, zero days, 15 hours, two seconds, one second. So mine's going right now on my phone. Every day it reminds me, oh, you're one day closer to Cleveland, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we just finished the show. Did you watch a lot of content from people putting out at the show? I did. Uh, if you watch uh, the first video I made for my new channel, which is a collaboration that I should probably uh, plug here. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm a part of a new collective effort uh, between myself, Theo Clemente Collector, James Elite Hunters, who also recently appeared on your channel, uh, and then Caesar Pepino Man, and the four of us are together as four collectors, the number four collectors, and our uh, tag is actually at four collectors with the number four collectors, F-O-R, in the second half. Uh, we um, are uh, producing uh, regular weekly live streams on Sunday nights at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern start times and regular video content that comes out every Tuesday and Thursday. So uh, speaking of which, my first video was doing a recap of the month of July, and I uh, had to watch a lot of videos to, to create <laughs> what I created in that video. I won't spoil it for Mike. He hasn't watched it yet. But uh, um, yeah, so... Uh, there was a lot of videos after a while. I did feel a little bit down of not being there, especially seeing the videos of the YouTube gatherings. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm okay. super excited about next year. Yeah. And you can, you have a year to, to kind of save up and think about cards you want to get. And I, I'm excited. It's fun to see people at their first national and what the experience is like. It's, it's, the same for all we all walk in every year no matter how many you've been to and you're just like holy cow this is a big space there's a lot of cards here you know we all feel it i think it's just on a different level when it's your first one you could ask adam you can ask other you know everybody will tell you how overwhelmed they were and like where do i even start and all that but you'll have a lot of guys with some you know good experience national experience to help you through the through the process oh yeah half of half of our group went this year so we're trying to get the other half to to go as well next year so that's awesome well um anything else i'd love you to talk a little bit more maybe from an encouragement to people that think man i can't get into vintage because it's all too expensive or it's too hard to find or whatever excuse they want to throw out there. How would you encourage somebody that's, that's thinking about getting into vintage and wanting to get started there? I would say if you're concerned at all about budget, don't follow what you're seeing from guys like on the other screen over here, Yeah, because he's been at it so long. He was able to buy a lot of his stuff for not a lot of money, but uh, if you, uh, there are so many cool cards that aren't rookies. You don't have to buy rookie cards. 
you know, you see it so much that people put, put, put out rookie card videos. I mean, my most popular video ended up being where I did talk about that I don't collect rookie cards, I think, because rookie cards was in the title. It ended up <laughs> getting the most views. Right. So, uh, but uh, there, there's just so many cool looking cards out there. And, you know, you look at the, the display behind me and it, do I look crappy because I don't have rookie cards back there or Not at does all. it still look awesome? I mean, there's so many beautiful cards that have been made. And I mean, I'm when I actually first started into vintage, I was biased towards photos. And because I know you're going to hate me saying this, I never really liked Diamond Kings. <laughs> so, uh, I, I was actually Cutting you off. You're done. We're we're done. With <laughs> yeah, <this interview>. yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of turned off at first by the art cards and the the ones that are art, and I was you know mostly going for photos. Hence the you know the love of the '53 Bowman, the ultimate vintage photo set. And uh, but now that I'm getting into these pre-war things, and there is such a price gap between generally the sets that have photos and don't like uh, one of the things I've been diving in a lot is the 1920s and the difference in price between a 1920s strip card and like the American Carmel sets with photos is dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of my biggest, my biggest ever purchase to date, which uh, still didn't earn me one of those eBay things, was this 1919 to 21. Uh, Walter Johnson um, got so many W's in my head right now. W514 um, strip card with this gorgeous pink background. Uh, I've just developed an appreciation for these now that I've got them in hand. You know, like the 33 Gaudi one I recently showed there. Um, Does Walter have some, uh, like, rouge or, or blush? On the <laughs> it, it does look a bit like he's got some, some makeup there. The, uh, <laughs> the artistry, you know, on this level of card is probably something uh, Scott Reindeer Studios could replicate fairly quickly. Right. But, you know, it's still, it's still cool. Yes. <laughs> but, totally cool. Um, I, I too am kind of my episode, my previous episode last week was with Andy and we talked about pre-war and I don't talk, I intentionally don't talk about pre-war here cause it's something that I'm learning, uh, as well. It's not something I, I knew a whole lot about. I, I can tell you what sets they are and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of really diving deep, I'm, I'm on that journey as well. And I love it. I'm enjoying it very, very much. Oh yeah, I've uh, I've dove in uh, head first in that arena, and I have uh, buddied up a little bit to Mister Mangini for uh, information. So um, that is the cool part. You can always find somebody that knows more than you, which is key to learning something. And there's plenty of guys out there that are happy to share knowledge, happy to share history of the set, and and it it just makes it even more enjoyable to collect it once you know more about it right absolutely 
Um, I mean, that's part of the fun is then, you know, researching about the sets and uh, then even diving in more to the players. I mean, there are some crazy facts out there of things that happen to players. Uh, things, you, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't share this, but uh, I, I picked up this... Uh, What's that, 39 play ball? 39 play ball, Lefty Gomez. Yeah. And in my research of learning more about Lefty Gomez, I, I learned about the fact that when he was first being uh, hired or uh, I guess signed by the Yankees, they were concerned that he was way too skinny and needed to put on weight. And one of the pseudosciences of the era, uh, people thought it was a good thing to pull everyone, every one of your teeth. And he had that done to him on purpose. Wow. I never knew that. Like it was supposed to remove the toxins from his body. Cause you know, a lot of people had bad dental health. Right. And so they would, you know, have teeth aches and things like that. So that became this pseudoscience thing of yanking everyone's teeth out, all their teeth out to cure them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he stayed pretty skinny throughout his career anyways, <laughs> but I think he did all right. Um, he did. You know, uh, also fun fact uh, on that same subject is uh, the same thing happened to Lou Gehrig early in his uh, being diagnosed with some form of disease they couldn't figure out. So the Yanks his teeth out, huh? Yep. Jeez. Well, on that note, uh, yeah. Sorry. We'll, we'll tie a bow on this one. And John, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, you can again check out John on his YouTube channel, 3D 80s Kids, or you can check out the new channel, Four Collectors, number four collectors. Uh, it's a great group of guys that are part of that i'm excited to to maybe out maybe you'll ask me to be on there every once in a while you know because i'm a collector and it's for collectors so hey yeah we'll be asking all kinds of people to come on with uh you know doing a weekly live stream doing pre-recorded content that's also collaborations there'll be plenty of opportunities for a lot of people so well, awesome john thanks for being on the show you made a great debut good job thank you you did awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. And hey, whether you're buying rookie cards, whether you're buying cool other cards, non-rookies, keep collecting. <laughs>